Welcome to the sixth episode of VSML 2024 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always are the Canadian who has a video in his collection featuring Antonio Banderas coming out of horse, Logan Saunders. Uh, good afternoon. And the guy who I'm led to believe frequents many places pronounced as Holland, David Bindley. Good morning. I couldn't resist both of those, I'm afraid. I know. <laughs> I think I'm just delirious this week. So we finally have an episode where money values make sense, people move, and a twist that isn't terrible. Yep, and then they're immediately going to follow it up next week with the fire and brimstone inducing edition of Integrity Will Be Rewarded. Wonderful. Because I'll say this now, if it is the standard Integrity Will Be Rewarded twist next week, I am going to be very annoyed. Very, very annoyed, in fact. No way. (laughs) (laughs) This is brand new information. Yeah. It's not like I've been very subtle about it the past 24 hours. So what are are we... We can just get this out of the way now. How much money are we expecting them to lose on that challenge next week? I I, I think they'll lose 1,500 euros. 2,222 euros and 22 cents. Oh, bugger off. (laughs) Oh, Too soon. (laughs) I know I'll get into this next week, but the fact of the matter is it's far, far too late in the season to do a twist that is inevitably going to wipe the pot. They'll have two episodes to make it back, and the mole will have to do nothing in those last two episodes to uh, even sabotage, and it'll be really difficult to work out who it is towards the end. Mm -hmm. Well, it's their fault for making too much money through seven episodes. Well, that's the thing. They haven't. It's 7,500 and odd. 7,525, I think it is. Which isn't that much money in the grand scheme of things. But anyway, we'll get to that next week. It's going to irritate me. I know it is already. It is also, on brighter news, our 400th episode together next week, Saunders. 400? That's a, that's a lot! It is a lot. <laughs> if you cast your mind back only about two or three weeks, you hit 400 episodes because you've barely done any without me. Because you can't be trusted on your own. Yeah, apparently. Can't be trusted on your own? No, that's me. All oh, right. Which, which one, the the terrible mole or the vaguely Spanish-looking chubby dude? Vaguely Spanish-looking chubby dude. Rosario, your mom's calling. Get to the phone. Stop playing your Halo game and come to the phone, Rosario. <laughs> it's going to be one of these episodes, isn't it? <laughs> Let's do the usual preamble. Bingo card. Numerically one of Fuzzy's best. But unfortunately, three different lines of four does not bingo make. She did get the Peter Yankers gamble correct by predicting under 15 minutes, though. And I will say, even pre-editing, it was under 15 minutes. I think it ended up being about four and a half in the edit because, uh, yes, I cut rather a lot of last week's preamble because it was a bit miserable and, you know, downbeat for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember now. Terrible things happened last week. Mm-hmm. Not going to say why. You guys know exactly why. It was a bit of a miserable preamble section, and, you know, we like to keep these things upbeat, like discussing terrible work meetings, for example. Terrible work meetings that weren't actually that bad. Um, The reason that I was alluding to the fact that I had to edit quickly last week is because I was away with work on Wednesday and Thursday. I was pretty much dreading that meeting. wasn't as bad as I thought, although there were some some particularly hilarious moments, including... um, the fact that they're announcing some sort of restructure on Wednesday, which is always fun, and it became a recurring joke for the rest of the meeting that that actually meant that we were all going to be made redundant. The next session after this was discussed, we had a meeting all about AI and had to 
get an AI chatbot to write lyrics for a song on a topic of our choosing and then get that put to music by another AI thing. And you can probably see where this is going because much to the irritation of my manager's manager, I did produce an AI-generated song all about the fact that we were all going to be made redundant. She wasn't best pleased with me. (laughs) Someone did also suggest that... um, they ask the chatbot to uh, create a diss track, and I did have to ask him afterwards whether he'd watched Taskmaster New Zealand recently. Surprisingly, he hadn't. And um, we actually had to finish early because it snowed again, which was hilarious fun driving home. I would like some snow at the moment. It was pretty disgusting. It was pretty disgusting, I have to be honest. Was it as disgusting as the Cuban restaurant uh, you had to go to? Didn't have to go to the Cuban restaurant. Um because I put my foot down and said, well, one of my friends can never go to these meals because she's got celiac disease. So most of the places we go to, they can't guarantee it'll be allergy friendly. So she has to sit in her hotel room when we go to these things and have celiac friendly snacks. So we found out that the um, the one of my favorite chain restaurants, which I have, I am the top tier of their loyalty scheme. So I get all of the freebies off them. That They are very allergy friendly. So me and her went there and uh, set the world to rights. And when I say that oh, I wow. get, um, when I say I get free stuff off them, I got on work's dime as well because they reimbursed me for this. I got a free starter, a free drink, a free pizza upgrade, and a free cookbook that is currently now living in Harmstone Heights kitchen. Ooh. Ooh! And for my birthday month, if I go there, I get a free bottle of prosecco, which will then obviously be given to whoever I eat with because I don't drink. Huh? That surprises me. I thought. Well, that I don't drink. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why either. Mm. I thought it was one of those things that was quite well known, like how Logan has a blood feud with James Duffy. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't at the Super Bowl, uh, thankfully. You know I don't pay attention to you people. <laughs> so Bindles found out earlier in the week that um, after I remembered the existence of James Duffy slagging Logan off on Twitter, I posted a screenshot of that in our Facebook chat, and Bindles was like, what? What's the story on this? And somehow it passed him by that James Duthie and Logan have a blood feud that still hasn't been resolved, what, seven years later, is it, at this point? I think nine. I think nine years. Nine years later. Because that was during season three. Yeah, that would be 2015. Yeah. yeah, so nine years later, you still have a blood feud with CSN's James Duthie. Yeah, which people, because he's more famous for doing sports than he is for Amazing Race Canada, so whenever this gets brought up in conversation, or if there's a sport playing on TV and James Duffy is doing commentary. It's like, oh yeah, that's that guy who hates me and I hate him equally. And then people are like, what the hell are you talking about? Then I have to explain the whole James Duffy story to them. They're thinking, it's kind of on brand for you to have a feud with James Duffy of all people in Canadian pop culture. Although to be fair, the year before he did have the blood feud with the Harpies from the social. Yep, and also the pervy <laughs> editor of Amazing Race Canada too, lest we forget him. Oh, I can't wait to talk about an entire story. And another entire story in news, because uh, I think the last upload I did was about seven months ago, where I did uh, episode five of season one of Amazing Race Canada. I have been secretly, no longer a secret anymore, working on the next five episodes so I can just release them on a routine schedule now. And yeah, I got th- I've gotten through four and a half episodes in the span of less than a month 
which is probably the highest frequency rate I've done in seven or eight years, probably. Mm, well done. What you're saying is basically you're waiting to find that golden Cadbury's bar hidden in the factory just for you to be able to release them. Yeah. So oh, yeah, that golden caramel bar from the finale. <laughs> I uh, They go so heavy on sponsors. No, they always go heavy on sponsors, but the in the in even in the first season finale, you could tell every major sponsor wanted to be showcased in there because they knew a lot of people were going to watch that episode. Because it's like the Air Canada executive lounge or ex- executive or first class seating they got to have in the finale. They had the caramel factory, and there was something else too. Just anything to do with Toronto, I guess. <laughs> I'm sure all of that was sponsored. So yeah. Was the Amazing Race Canada one finale the one where they created fake filming permits for which building they were going to rappel down as well? Yep, because they because uh, that, that was the. They actually had a budget back then and put an effort to uh, put in decoys. Nowadays, they just tell them, you know, days in advance and then their friends turn up. Yeah. We're going to film Three Legs in Vancouver and Three Legs in Toronto. If your friends want to watch any of the tasks, uh, feel free to invite them. Who knows? We might we may bring them in as a stowaway team. You never know. We're out of ideas and we're out of money. Do they have money? If they pay us $1,000, we'll add them as a new team onto the race because we're desperate. Are you keeping up with Traitors US as well, Saunders? Uh, I'm, I haven't watched it, but uh, I'm aware of what's going on. I think I'm going to watch Traitors New Zealand very soon. Traitors New Zealand is very fun. I know I've probably said that to you before, but... Hence why I'm watching it. <laughs> or going to watch it. It's certainly better than US is. The host is inexplicably less of a dickhead than Alan Cumming is on the US one. But it's just very cheap, like most of New Zealand television, which I think makes it quite charming. Is it cheaper than Amazing Race Canada? Um, uh, not Amazing Race Canada, Traders Canada? Uh, yes. Yeah, the maximum prize is $30,000. No, $70,000. And almost immediately they offer 10000 of it in a bribe. 30000 was the prize for Mole New Zealand. Yeah, 30000 is the um, UK equivalent of the um, 70000 Kiwi dollars. That's what I was getting confused about. Traitors US, I don't know how many times I have to explain to certain people on Discord, there is a reason they have a set production order of how many episodes they have, and that's what we call budget. Because if you say, oh, we're going to make it flexible, it might be nine episodes, it might be 12, they will only give you the money for nine. And there are fixed costs involved in these programs, like, for example, hiring out an entire fucking castle in the Highlands, in the case of the US one, everyone's going to get an appearance fee. I highly doubt that people like Parvati and Sandra are getting out of bed for less than 100 grand. That's going to be a fair whack of their budget anyway. And also the challenges and the crew and everything else. They need a fixed episode order and that's why it's set at 11 and they have to add in the Swiss and all that sort of stuff. It's also not rigged to keep their favourites in. Swiss in all of US reality TV have to be set out beforehand. The reason that they did the banishment twist this week was not because they wanted to keep certain people in who are traitors and who may be a bit vulnerable at the moment. It's because someone quit a few episodes ago and they need a certain amount of people for each of the remaining challenges. So that's why stop being idiots. I don't know how many times I have to say that to people. Too many times is the answer. And um, one final question for the preamble. Does anyone want to um, give us any news that they've seen recently? No. Hmm. I feel very confused, and I'm kind of worried about what's about to be announced. Yeah, because one of your um, hometowns made international news recently, I believe. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> that would be mine. <laughs> it would indeed be yours. Yes. Did you? Did it come across your social media? It did indeed. Uh, I saw it on one of my favorite Instagram accounts, We Rate Dogs, uh, which was talking about the yep. the story of a man in Vernon, British Columbia, and they didn't actually say it was uh, Vernon, BC, in in the news video that I saw, but I knew it was from the fact the taxi company was called Vernon Taxi. Uh, a blind man yeah, in Vernon, it's... he tried to get a taxi. The driver said, no, I've got an allergy, so um, he had to get another one. Then he got dropped off three blocks from home, and his very cute uh, Labrador guide dog led him home despite not knowing the streets, and him not knowing the streets either. Very, very good boy. Aww. So there's, of course, naturally, there's more to this story. <laughs> and it, yeah, it was... it's. So originally it was just posted on a Vernon rant and rave because in Vernon, we, we only got a, I think we got, we only got a ride share app about a year and a half ago. And before that, we only have one, ta- one taxi company for the whole town. So this cab company has a monopoly and essentially they, I think I remember when I was riding with them right before the rideshare app started, I was talking to one of the drivers and he said, oh, we only have 15 drivers for the whole city for, you know, 40,000 people. And it's mostly retirees who live here and people with various disabilities. That's what our infrastructure is set up for in town. So it was getting to be where you could wait up to two hours for a cab. And there are two dispatchers who work for the cab company. And one of the dispatchers is known as being just the rudest person in all of Vernon, where she just yells at you and makes you feel like an idiot anytime you call the cab company. Like she just has no patience and is just very short with people. So everyone just hates this cab company in town, essentially. So the rideshare app pops in, and now people are using that a lot more often. But there's still people who stick with the cab company. And yeah, somebody posted on the Vernon rant and rave about what happened to this guy, because he frequents one of the bars or the army and Navy bar here in town, very, very well-known guy. And his dog is his service dog is very well-known too. And he always rides with the same, with the cab company every like once a week or so they know exactly where to drop him off. Everyone, all the drivers know him. And I don't know exactly why the second driver just dropped him off at the wrong address and didn't follow it. Cause he, he even drove like the guy, the blind guy, knew exactly what his taxi fare should be every time he drives. It always comes out to $13. He's like, we've been driving a bit extra. And then he found out his fare was $20. And he said, uh, I think it dropped me off at the wrong place. Why is it $7 extra? So then he just told his dog, okay, take me home. I have no idea where we are. So the dog was able to take him home. And then, and then yeah, one of his friends posted on the Vernon Ranton rave. So people had huge reactions to that. And then local news picked it up and then provincial news, national news. And then I saw it on Twitter where um, Sue from Reality Fan Forum, the one who lives out in Windsor, she was posting about it and I thought, oh, she lives out in Windsor. How does she know about what this story that happened in Vernon? And I guess, yeah, it's made international news. And then the local newspaper published uh, an interview with the cab company and the cab company owner said, you have no idea how many emails we've been getting where it's just tons and tons of profanity. I even checked their Google Maps reviews and people posted like 30 one-star reviews to bring down the rating of their business. 
And the guy said, okay, it was an honest mistake. We're retraining our drivers. I don't know what else you want us to do. We apologized for it. We feel really bad about this. And the owner hasn't has had a miserable time, both at home and at work, for the past week and a half or so since this happened, now that this is an internationally known story. <laughs> yeah, I make no secret of the fact that most of my Instagram followers are just dog accounts because Instagram is such a hellish place that I just want it to be full of serotonin when I look at it. And I saw the post by We Rate Dogs last Wednesday and I'm like, hmm, it says he's in British Columbia. It's called Vernon Taxi. I'm going to mention this to Saunders next week. And then I saw that you'd made an allusion to it in one of your posts a few days ago. And I'm like, he definitely knows. This is going to be fun. I'm not going to tell him that I know. But the... <laughs> The post from We Rate Dogs says, This is Dodger. He's a guide dog for his human, Roland Croto, a blind senior in British Columbia. The duo found themselves stranded after one cab driver refused to pick them up, citing an allergy, and a second one ultimately dropped them off at the wrong house. Fortunately, Dodger was ready to step up, guiding Roland safely back home. The cab company Vernon Taxi has offered free rides to him and says it'll use this opportunity to retrain its staff. Someone we know doesn't need more training. Dodger, 15 out of 10. I have a question. Is the rude lady dispatcher's name Wendy? <laughs> I was waiting for that reference. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah, she's from the Caribbean. How would you know? <laughs> and oh yeah, and then so the funny thing is, right after that happened, Kim kept calling me to come over to her house because she had a few people over. I didn't really feel like going over, but then everyone kept messaging me. So I said, "Fine, I'm not going to do the cab company because of what happened to the blind dude." So I'm going to use the rideshare app. And the rideshare app originally was going to be a 30-minute wait. So I waited till it got down to 20 minutes and ordered my ordered the, the car. And the guy was dropping off somebody about a 15, maybe 10-minute drive away from me up in the foothills by the ski resort. So I, was, so I, so I can see his path um, while he's driving. And he just kept circling around the same neighborhood where he was supposed to do his drop-off for maybe half an hour to 40 minutes. And then he finally made the drop-off and, and then said, okay, you'll be picked up next. So I knew exactly where he should turn off. And he missed the first turn-off to come to my house. I could see him driving by it. Then the second turn-off, then the third turn-off. And then eventually he cuts across on the highway. I see his path and I'm just thinking, is, what, is, is this guy on drugs? What the hell is happening? And then it shows that his car is going out towards Kelowna the exact opposite direction in a completely different city. <laughs> and it was like that for another 10 minutes. And I was thinking, this guy has zero intention of picking me up. So I canceled it, ordered from the ordered a cab from the cab company instead. And they were here within five minutes. And then they picked me up again at two o'clock in the morning. They picked me up in five minutes again. So there's just no way to win in this town. <laughs> so anyway, this episode... Previously, Babs returned, as did the old mill from Mexico, to wreak havoc on the pot. However, the biggest cut came from Rosario when he selected an envelope that dropped the pot by 3,000 euros before our source of comedic relief was dropped in the form of Euroan, who became the third person permanently sent home this season. Something else that was also alluded to in this episode is the fact that all of the people who lose are actually staying in Mexico, and there are videos online of them all reacting like Ponderosa style to Who Goes Home Next. Mm. I saw the one of uh, Yip and Justin uh, reacting to Euroan earlier in the week and being hmm. devastated that he went home. Were they like, oh my god, Euroan's gone? As we all were. No, they were like, oh, I can't remember your name. You you look vaguely like a chubby Spanish-looking dude <laughs> with glasses. 
<laughs> Let me check my notes. Oh, your, your name is your own. I'm glad I wrote this description down. Otherwise, I would have been very confused for weeks. I love that we stumbled upon this, Son. It's one of my favorite things you've ever done. <laughs> In 506 episodes at this point. Apparently a woman? Woman? Question mark? <laughs> Rick says that Mexico City earned them a lot of money, but then production thought they were earning too much, so tilted it towards the mole, who in one episode removed 5,000 euros from the pot. If the candidates want to earn money back, they'll have to lift their feet and delve deeper into Mayan numbers, because watching people do maths is riveting. And the episode title is Wondering. It is day 11 in Merida, and it's about that time where we need a scene of the treasurer changing, just because it's traditional in Vidum now. Babs greets Fonz as ex-treasurer, much to Anna's amusement. I wrote down, this is the most personality we've seen from the group in a while. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't hate this episode. I I hate the first challenge. It was awful. But the second and third bits of this episode, I actually quite enjoyed. And I did enjoy, as much as I obviously tease them for the traditional treasurer changing scene, I quite enjoyed it. It was a lot of personality. Rosario had a massive boost in edit this week. We actually saw a bit of personality from him, which hopefully means he's going home next week. But apparently, apparently after every test, they're changing who the treasurer is, so everyone gets a chance at, the, chance at the unique role. They've given it to Rosario for this episode. He's happy because usually there's a question on the test, which we didn't know about, of whether the mole is treasurer. So he says that it's the equivalent of having a yoker. Has that ever been, been mentioned before as a strategy where if you're a treasurer and the treasurer question comes up, that gives you that freebie as an answer? No, we've not. This is one of many things in this episode that's just like, oh yeah, this has happened and we're just telling you about it now in episode 6. And this is one of those things, it looks like they've been putting in a question of, is the mole treasurer? Pretty much every single test. And just not told us about it. Because we haven't seen it in the test scenes either, I don't think. Not unless I missed it. No, they, they usually show it if it's a question like the week they changed the treasurer, but because they haven't changed the treasurer until last week, or the week before, whenever it was. But... Rotating treasurer is just guarantees the mole is going to become treasurer at some point, doesn't it? Yeah. And you can also see where I'm going with this, because obviously the suspect list question this week is, is the mole currently treasurer? Of course. Because, I mean, as much as this episode was an improvement, there really wasn't a lot of other questions that could have been this week. Oh no, as soon as this came up in the episode, I'm like, I love a pin your colours to your mast question on the suspect list occasionally and this is one of those if you think rosario is the mole you have to pick yes this week and i know people won't expect me to have another rant about the mole money but can they not just swap out the notes that they've got and give them four thousand euro notes they shouldn't be carrying around a wad of cash at this point just give them the highest you can make it easy to transport I just love the possibility of them going somewhere and getting mugged and then whoever mugs them going into a, a supermarket or something and trying to pay with a bill with, with Rian's face on it. <laughs> Here's four Rian notes. Why is this not legal tender? <laughs> it's like the Simpsons where their football ticket is printed on a cracker. You're eating my ticket. And then they head to the first challenge where Tuska says she was waiting for Antonio Banderas to come on a horse as it looks very Zorro. <laughs> Oh, there's a guy who died doing that in in Washington State. (laughs) She's obviously been watching very different movies than we have. Well, than you and I have. Yeah, I dread to think what his mark of Zorro is, put it that way. (laughs) Put it this way, as soon as night falls in 
As soon as night falls in the Yucatan, you can see the mark of Zorro. Yeah, blame Kim for me knowing about that horse story. <laughs> oh, I so often do. I love how we're just skipping over the fact that Logan has been told about a story of a guy who had sex with a horse in Washington State. Because that's too normal. <laughs> yeah, because I made the news cycles. Yeah. It was right before the segment about Dodger the dog. Yeah, the horse dropped him off three blocks away. We rate, we rate horses. Yeah, I was going to say, on my Instagram feed, the worst that I see is about very cute guide dogs leading their uh, their blind owners to to safety. Not about guys having sex with horses. You fucking weirdos. <clears throat> yeah, because the because Kim sh- they because that was on like the local Washington News, and we get that station here in Vernon. And the guy and the, and the reporter had to had to play the story completely straight, right? Like he's like, "There's this disturbing new trend in Washington State." <laughs> it's like what a trend. Like, more than one person does this? You're going to have fun making the notes for this episode. Oh, God, yeah. The worst thing is they had to do a reconstruction for it because it's local news. Hello, local actors. Do you fancy pretending to have sex with a horse for local news? Yeah, and they have to have that just a reenactment thing along the bottom of the screen. We'll give you $50. And then the actor's first question is, which part am I playing? Do we audition? No, they, they just recreated it with a pantomime horse. So Rick greets them and says that 4,000 years ago on this part of the continent the Mayan culture was created, a civilization with its own writing, mathematics, and architecture. For this assignment, they'll need the way that the Mayans indicated numbers. There'll be four tables set up with negative numbers written on them. By putting stones from the field on the table, they will make those numbers exactly zero. One correct table is worth 100 euros, two correct is 500, three correct is 1,500, and all four correct is 2,500. They will also get boards with the Mayan numbers so they can count correctly, and they've got 25 minutes. And Keyes has the, or Case has the brilliant description of referring to the three numbers as melons, balls, and wines. Funnily enough, also a description on our most recent iTunes review. Yeah. I'm the lines. I'm sure you are. My first note on this is, why the hell are they splitting up when there's no specific assignments? Yeah, to start of the challenge, Anna is completely by herself. And I was thinking, well, they're not going to get all four. Yeah, I, I sort of get why if there's four tables, but also, the person who's on each table, maybe go and have a look at the board, work out what you're looking for, and then go look in the field. Speaking of Anna, did you guys notice she's had a huge drop in airtime these past two rounds? Yeah, mm. I have a theory on that. Um... I mean, we know that the mole took a backseat this week. Absolutely. Yeah. And my theory last week was that the mole didn't really need to do anything because obviously everyone's just going to go for advantages and they probably don't need to pick a 3,000 euro envelope to draw attention to themselves. They can draw attention to themselves towards the end when people actually need to know who they are. Two thirds of the way through the season, you don't need to show the mole really, or the mole doesn't really need to do anything overt unless they want to, in my book. And I did see an argument that, oh, maybe it was Case and maybe he was dressed as a cameraman. But what the fortune teller actually said to everyone in episode one was that the mole enjoyed shaking hands with them, which means the mole had to be yeah. in that receiving line and we had to see the mole in that image. They can't have been a cameraman because that's bullshit. So Case and Tosca are on the mine calculator board and he says it's not the most complicated calculation system, which of course means it's about to go wrong. 
Mm-hmm. Rosario then describes Casey's narration on the calculation system as a shitty podcast, and I have to say we've done worse. <laughs> the green table is minus 52, and the purple one is minus 104. Babs and Rosario just decide to go rogue and do the purple table themselves, and if they touch a stone, they must use it and put it on a table. And all I have to say is, why are they adding more rules to this challenge? It's already boring and complicated. Yeah. The whole thing with, you know, once you pick up a stone, you've got to put it on a table. It basically just makes it the ostrich egg maze from Belgia in South Africa, except Rick couldn't be asked turning up to play Scrabble with them. Like, that's really what this challenge comes down to. It's just not as good because they half-assed it. Yeah, the difference with the ostrich maze is the fact that they could still get rid of those letters if they didn't need them. Yeah. There was still a failsafe that they didn't have to use those eggs if they didn't want to. This time, if you pick it up, it's got to get used. I like how we didn't learn about one of the critical rules until the very end of the challenge, which is if you touch the one particular stone on top that, I guess, locks in your answer, that if you touch that stone or move it, then um, what you have on that table is rendered null and void. I like how we didn't know about that rule until the very end of the challenge, thinking, oh, well, I I wish I knew about that rule sooner. I think it was alluded to earlier in the challenge. They definitely said they had to use the zero keystone to put on the top, and once that was on the top, they couldn't do anything with it. That was fairly early on, I think. How would you have sabotaged this? I think, well, it's a walkie-talkie challenge, so the obvious thing is just hold the button down as much as you can. I don't think the mole really needed to sabotage any of the challenges this episode. Yeah. Maybe you sabotage one to to just stop them getting the maximum completely, but given how much of a nuclear mm. bomb went off in the pot last week, I think it's getting to the point of the season where you have to have something that you can donate to Rocky's charity in the end. So it's getting <laughs> to the point where they have to maybe pull back a little bit on the sabotages, at least until Integrity will be rewarded next week, when you can do some damage. I, I kind of got the feeling that if they'd been doing a little bit better up to this point. We would have ended up with a sabotage in the, in the reunion where basically the mole stuck a stone on the pile upside down, so the number, instead of being 13 or whatever, was 31 or whatever yeah. the, you know, my own equivalent would have been. But I don't know. Also, the lack of the fourth table in the end, we're led to believe was down to funds picking stuff up and all that sort of stuff. That seems too obvious. Yeah, if Fonz was the mole, they wouldn't have shown him doing that, surely. I think probably someone did something with that table beforehand. That's my suspicion on it. I don't think it was Fonz's actions that nullified that table. I think it had already been nullified by that point. Yeah, and and we did get Rick sort of saying, well, that wasn't our intention, but like it didn't sound like that was the rule break that cost them the money. The other element of this challenge that I do want to flag is all four tables were looking for multiples of 13. So I'm wondering whether that's a hint to something. Because the first two we see are 52 and 104. 104 divided by 52 is 2. Then we see minus uh, 156, which is, again, 104 plus 52. And then 13 is the last table we see. They're all divisible by 13. Maybe the mole is 39 or 52 years old. So Anna? <laughs> is Anna 39? <laughs> Anna is 37. Yeah. Nobody is dead on the half Courtius line of being 39. Although Rianne is 52. Yeah, 13 is also M in numerical code. So, 
Yeah, there's going to be something to do with that, I suspect. The numbers won't have been random. Do you notice that Babs is uh, suspicious of Anna in this challenge? Where yeah. she doesn't outright say she's suspicious of her, but she says, isn't it a good idea to have someone with Anna? <laughs> As if to say, I think Anna is likely the mole. Because she was spending time with Rosario in this challenge, as well as the coalition with him, and then dropped the hint of, hmm, Anna could be the mole too. Also, last thing on this challenge, it was pretty much real time, and it felt exactly real time. It dragged. Yep. Yes. Like, I, I get that they were, you know, had to fill the episode, but the next challenge, they shrink half of it down into a montage. They probably could have spent a little bit more time on that and a little bit less time on this. Yeah, I actually quite enjoyed the the second challenge. It was a very rare thing of something you probably couldn't do anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Yes, you probably couldn't have done the Mayan math challenge anywhere else in the world, but also you probably wouldn't want to. Unless you're Amazing Race Australia, in which case you'll randomly do it in Argentina. Oh yeah, I, I remember the when I was in Argentina, when I went to all of those Mayan temples. I did enjoy, you know, one little deadpan moment in the thing where, like, someone over the walkie-talkie just sort of says, "Case, I'm coming," and then Case just sort of deadpans, "What a party!" Actually, one other thing I did want to draw attention to is again on Rosario having a lot more airtime this week. He says that two screws worse on the walkie-talkie than Anna, and Anna can't use a walkie-talkie either. It's a whole new chapter of chaos. This is obviously the Rosario we've been missing, and hopefully his spike in airtime does mean that he goes next week because it'll. Allay a lot of my fears about who the mole's going to be in this season, as referred to last week. But yeah, he was quite snarky funny in this challenge. I like how Case was so out of it during this challenge that he didn't even figure out what exactly they were supposed to do until the challenge was almost over. Yeah, He just had to have everyone tell him exactly what to do because he was just not figuring it out on his own. Yeah, it's like when he spent you know 20 minutes explaining the challenge over the walkie-talkie and then it's like, is that clear? And then somebody says, not at all, Case. Yeah, <laughs> no, we do not understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. And uh, I thought for a while that this challenge didn't even have a timer because everyone was just walking very slowly. And then the timer appeared on screen. I'm thinking, does everyone think the challenge is so easy that they don't even need to jog or run to put the stones on the tables? Now, there was a hidden rule where you can only move at the speed that Rianne does. When she's sitting down. Rianne has a pedometer on her, and uh, that'll just tell you what speed she's moving at. Nobody is allowed to go faster than that. It's like the tightrope challenge with the heart rate. <laughs> yeah, it must have been a terrible episode for Rianne, because she had to actually stand up twice. Three times, in fact. She had to stand up in all three challenges. And walk. And move. And dance. That's a lot of work. Did you say the interview that came out during the week, someone linked it in one of the discords, where basically Rianne complained about how hard it was physically. Yeah, uh, Marika <laughs> referred to that this afternoon. <laughs> That's hilarious. She said she didn't need to go to the gym, I think, was the term that she used. Every time someone mentions that this year they only sit down and don't do anything, I remember an article that Rianne did where she basically said that it was so hard. The quote was, Rianne hasn't been to the gym because of Beast Mole. My body is a house of cards. I looked it up, but the whole article is just for subscription holders. But guys, it was hard. <laughs> I love that this has just become a thing now. So Rick returns after time ends and confirmed that they correctly stacked three tables, earning them 1,500 euros of 2,500 for the pots, and he says that he will see them later. Are we assuming that the mole sabotaged the one table? I think the mole sabotaged the one table. I think they probably did it 
before Fonz messed about with the keystone and all that sort of stuff. I think the mole got lucky with the table that they picked for that. Either that or the mole just deliberately gave a wrong stone and put it on that table, because I think it was the 156 table that he was messing with. And then we get coalition scenes. We do. We haven't had these for years. At the hotel, we see that Babs pulls Rosario aside to propose a Bontia. She doesn't trust him at all, but it's a good test for him. And they confirm it with a spit handshake. He then tells her that he voted for Tuska, Fonz, a little bit of case, and Rianne. Fonz then appears to eavesdrop on the conversation. And he says to us that what's extra fun is that Fonz has a Bontia with Tuska, which we've not seen. And that he has a Bontia with Fonz, which we've also not seen. He wanted a Bonjour with Babs to get more information, and Fonz was doing the same with Tuska, again, that we've not seen. All of this information, brand new, six episodes into the season. Yeah, and the, the spit handshake is a little bit of a downgrade from last year's fuck Bonjour. It is, yes. Between a Washington man and a horse. I wish that uh, Fonz would have just kept interrupting their conversation <laughs> with the most ridiculous requests. Hey, did any of you get this laundry done? Hey, uh, did any of you just happen to knit this new sweater? Hey, is this one of your guys' backpacks? Oh, is this uh, one of your guys' uh, journals? I, I think the best bit was like he just kept sliding in and out like it wasn't walking. He just It looks like they were sliding him in and out on a trolley. Pawn's here. <laughs> I know I've mentioned it to you, Michael. Did you notice what was wrong with this scene, Logan? Uh, other, other than Rosario talking. Yeah. Other than Rosario speaking. Uh, no, I didn't. The whole scene, for whatever reason, was reflected. You can sort of really tell. One, because the sign in the on the hotel is, you know, in mirrored writing. That they're standing oh, really? Right in front of. Yeah. And also, Babs's hair is the wrong way around. So you got the black on the right-hand side instead of the left. And I, I couldn't work out why they did it. Yeah, what would the purpose of that would be? Yeah, I don't know. I was too I was too distracted by Fonz's ridiculous requests. So they're taken to a dance school where two local dancers await. Tuska says it's her thing, but she's on a bus with a group of people who were despairing at the thought of having to dance. The dancer says that in Mexico they take influences from Africa, from Europe, and even from Holland in their dancing, but they're going to teach the group a traditional dance from the Yucatan. I like how they said how he said, Yes, even from Holland, as if as if Dutch people cannot dance to save their lives. Yet we have influences from Africa, Europe, and even Holland. We found a dance that we took inspiration from. Even from there, we had to search really, really hard. But we, we, we have some influence there. What that influence is, I don't know. One word, clogs. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I was trying to think of the name of those shoes. They dance in those. <laughs> Oh god, can you imagine Rian doing jazz ballet in clogs? Yes, yes I can, and it would be delightful. And Rian has been medically evacuated from this season, <laughs> there will be no execution this round. That is absolutely the sort of thing that uh, Papa Bear would make them do if he did a Dutch season. <laughs> you guys are going to learn a clog dance. <laughs> yeah, in clogs. Uh, going incognito. Incognito. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, and there's the title. And I like how Rosario and Babs try to inject uh, swag into the dance. Did you guys notice this swag? No. I did not. I thought I thought they were just dancing. I, I didn't know there was a swag element to it. It wasn't it wasn't swaggy enough uh, for me. It was interesting that, you know, as as much as we complain about this show being super cheap, they had enough budget for 
uh, Babs to have a man's outfit. I mean, even Amazing Race US, doesn't matter what the task is, it's always one man's outfit or one woman's outfit, regardless of whether the team is two men, two women, one of each, somewhere in the middle. I suspect that Babs probably said to them beforehand, if there are any costumes, please don't make me wear a dress. Yeah, possibly. So I think that I think that's just a sort of a request that Babs has said beforehand, but they're just they're bringing it to the episode because people online would go, "Why is Babs wearing a shirt and trousers?" But they're doing it yeah. in actually quite a respectful way. I liked the way that they they handled that. It was just Babs basically saying, "Yeah." I was a bit uncomfortable about yeah. the idea of wearing a dress. They let me wear a shirt and a trousers. Cool. Thanks, guys. They didn't dwell on it. They didn't make a big thing of it, like Survivor probably would have in that case. They just had Bab say it and moved on. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that a lot of people were talking about it online, but then uh, Michelle Pierce Denovan uh, deleted the comments and said, Your comments have been deleted for being disrespectful. <laughs> She's going to listen to this. Stop causing yourself trouble. <laughs> You will be thrown in the Not anytime soon. <laughs> she has listened to a bit of episodes before. We do occasionally have to be on our best behaviour with that. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many screenshots. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> Is this comment going to be edited out of the episode for being disrespectful? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I edited out much worse last week, so maybe. Uh... <laughs> So Bab says she has good rhythm, but isn't as flexible as she could be in the hips. Sorry, I, I, I love that that's going to be hitted out of the episode for being disrespectful and all the horse stuff isn't. <laughs> oh no, Saunders has to own the horse sex stuff. I'm having no part in the horse sex uh, interlude. That is all Saunders. <laughs> and Kim. Uh... <laughs> oh god, this this is going to be a mess of an episode. It already is. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, if I had to guess one of you who would make that sort of a joke, I would have probably guessed Bindles, let's be honest. <coughs> so yeah, they're then taken to a square where local dancers are performing the dance around a maypole. Then the locals ask them all for a dance before Brick emerges. Rick says that Mexico has 31 states, each with its own dance. They will see examples of different states' dances alongside the Yucatan one. During the Yucatan dance, they must remove the dancers who have particular traits that Rick will tell each of them in turn, leaving a maximum of five left on the dance floor. Each correct person left is worth 500 euros for the pot. And I do also have to say, they did say it was in a square. It appeared it was in a hotel car park. I, I know it's not the point, but it, like when they're watching the performance to start with, it takes them forever to realise that this is their dance they're doing. I mean, fundamentally... They didn't need to teach them the dance at all. It was just a cool cultural thing they couldn't have done no. anywhere else. I was actually quite charmed by them doing that for once because usually Vidum is pretty yeah. challenge, 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 test, execution. And it was nice to actually have A, some downtime in seeing finally some sort of poncho scene for the first time in forever. And then B, yeah, they get an additional bit of sort of cultural input here that didn't serve any other point other than going, yeah, this is actually quite a fun thing to do, to make them do in 35 degree heat. And Rick Rick participates in this challenge fully. Like Rick is an active part. Yeah, he's he actually turns up for a challenge, which is very rare for this season. Albeit he does get them to dress him up in Day of the Dead stuff again, but beggars can't be choosers. Yeah, because I mean, Rick has just gotten to the point where he might show up at the start of the challenge, and then he might show up at the end. But here, he's being a proper mole host and being there all the way throughout, like you would see with Angela in the early seasons. 
or Peter Yan just standing on the sidelines going, what the ever-living fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> you know, or, you know, Jill DaCosta always being present. So, because with Rick, half the time if you forget he's even there. Or Art being a ringleader, or Carol doing things in the challenges that you haven't seen yet, Saunders. Or Carol taking an interlude to talk about his new eco-company he's invested in. You know, the usual. Yeah. The first trait is total funds. They must remove all men without hats and all women without chains. He then passes it on to Rianne, who passes it on to Tuska, Babs, Anna, Rosario, and Case in turn. Two people's poles then light up, and they are the ones who must remove the dancers within 30 seconds, and that is Babs and Rosario. The second cultural dance is a sable one by the look of things, and it is the first time all season that sparks have flown. Rianne is then the next to take part in Mexican Rixpers. She gets all men with the brown or green ribbon around their hats and all the women with a black or white fan. By the time it gets back to Rianne, it's all men with black and white ribbons, and Tuska is grooving to the music and doesn't notice her light. Her and Anna are the ones who get to send people off, and she had green or black ribbons on hats. And this was also my highlight of the episode, because Tuska, even though I didn't know at this point uh, that she was going to be going home, spoilers, uh, her grooving to the music and waiting a good like five seconds of their 30 seconds to remove people, really, really tickled me, and it is the banner this week. Yeah, yeah where she just said, oh, wait, wait, <laughs> right, I'm in a challenge. I, I just love they put the timer on the screen so you, we can watch how long it took her. Oh, yeah, it was an absolute ball out to get this the screen grab for the banner for this, by the way. But it was a real shame that I couldn't get the initial oh, shit reaction. It's where I've had to screenshot it because it goes a bit blurry after that is as she's looking at the light and like, oh, fuck, here we go. It's just that moment of recognition I got her before she kind of goes open mouth and goes, oh shit, I need to actually run in, and then runs. I also do need to point out that the editors are continuing their run of really unflattering shots of Anna. There are a few gormless-looking shots of Anna in this challenge that I'm not sure she would have signed off. She's looking in the distance, just kind of not paying attention at all, and you see like triple chins and stuff. It's quite unflattering for her, actually. Yeah, there, there was one shot in, like, in the intro dance sequence where, you know, they go through all of them dancing and Anna's doing the boob shimmy, and then you realise maybe they probably should have got somebody with a bigger bust to do that. Then they just kind of yada yada through a few rounds. Case gets women without a red bow and people without a Mexican brooch. Anna describes Case's transfers as so chaotic every time as he corrects himself, and it's Rianne who has to dismiss on her own. Rick then returns with their five remnants, four of whom are correct, leaving 2,000 euros for the pots. However, there is a bonus available. Some of them have a condition that would apply to them, also leaving the dance floor, and if they're correct, they get another 500 euros for the pot. And they choose Tuska, Rianne, and Fons, which is incorrect, so they earn 2,000 euros of 3,000 for the challenge, 3,500 for the episode, and 7,525 euros of 73,141 for the season so far. I I did like... Rianne's complete nonchalance in having to do that final round on her own compared to Tosca and some of the other people. Yeah, to be fair, she only had to dismiss one person. Yeah, and, and I and I realised, you know, she knew it was going to be her. She just had to wait for the light to turn on because everyone else had already done it. But still, it was sort of funny just watching, you know, everyone else sort of panic and get flustered and Rianne just be like, okay. Yeah, cool, whatever. I wish the Mexican Rickspur was just had a message by the end that was just completely off and had nothing to do with the challenge. The thing is, Rianne has done everything this season at her own pace. She wasn't going to stress out about being the only person to have to walk into the the Maypole arena. 
She was just going to do it at her own pace. 30 seconds be damned. Maybe that's why they left her till last, because she'd have the least people to deal with. The other thing I, I really liked in this challenge was sort of when they're explaining the, when they're doing the bonus question, Rick's annoyance with Fonz being, you know, still in the group is maybe the most personality he has showed in his entire tenure as host. Fonz, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah, including that thing a couple of weeks ago where he tried pretending to be a zombie. So Rick also warns them to enjoy their evening as the test will be in the morning and it is going to be a partly analogue test. Ugh. Like, I, I like the idea, but they did it last year. Uh, you know, it was fun last year, but it was fun as a one-off. They probably should have waited a couple of seasons. Like, I, you know, I realise they can't because it's producer Rick's last season. But, you know, it was too soon for this. Yeah, as twists to the test go, I don't mind it as much because it doesn't really harm anyone in the end. It's not unfair. Yeah. It's not going to cost the group a load of money to mess with. It's just something that throws people off a little bit. And actually, it's quite interesting, I think. Yeah, for a show that's in its 24th uh, season, they, they could do twists that are so much worse than this, which yeah. we've already seen this season. <laughs> yep. It's, and it's not pointless. <laughs> yeah, it's got to the point, 20 more seasons in, where we're just going, this could be far worse, let's give them a faint amount of praise. Yeah. So it's now time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and essence of the mole who have no sleep come home except for the mole who can never go home. And the test takes place on the morning of day 12 at a hacienda that Rick doesn't pronounce, so I'm not going to try to. Yes, Kapoor. Thank you. Baph says she's excited about it being a potentially abnormal test. Before the test, Rick meets them where they will do the execution. On the computer screen, they will only see the answers for this test. And along their way to the computer, they will see the questions. Their time will begin when they begin their walk to the computer. However, not everyone walks. Uh, they did get a golf cart for Rianne to get between the 20 questions. Actually, thinking about it, there's bicycle taxis next week. She's going to be fucked, isn't she? I just realised that. She's going to be so screwed having to cycle in uh, 35 degree heat. With humidity. And then next week's suspect list question is going to be, was she a driver or a passenger? Did the mole collapse? another reason i actually quite like this test is because it pays homage to one of my underrated favorite british game shows they've ever done that i think only lasted one series called the exit list hosted by pseudo friend of the podcast matt Allwright, who also hosted the code which ant and i did um it was a giant studio filled with rooms that they called the memory maze in each room you'd find a value of money up to about 150 grand, I think. There was a ludicrous amount of money hidden in there. And you'd also find a question with four possible answers. If you got the question right, you only had to remember that one answer. If you got the question wrong, you had to remember all four of the answers for that. To leave the maze with the money, you had to do your entire route in reverse and remember all of the answers that you'd given. It was a brilliant quiz show. Yeah. And I think they did yeah. a US pilot oh. featuring did. featuring Brian Corridan and Eliza. Yeah, Brian and Eliza. Pretending to be a couple. Yeah, and which I don't I like pretending to be a couple and like I don't know where to begin telling them what's wrong with that. Yeah, I think we may have alluded to it on the podcast before because 
I talked about it on the podcast, I think, and then Brooke messaged me going, yeah, they were just pretending to be a couple, obviously. So I must have mentioned it before, but I have a huge soft spot for the exit list because it is definitely my sort of uh, my sort of game show. It was a big money game show. It was basically entirely memory and quizzing and stuff, and I think I would have had a lot of fun with it if if it was still around. And also, Matt Allwright is a lovely human being, so he needs more work. Yeah, it was a good show. It's it's one of the rare big money game shows that felt like it should have been a big money game show. Yeah, like a lot of them feel like. You know, you could play it for $20,000 and they're just playing it for a million for no reason. Yeah, basically what I'm saying is bring back the exit list, please, because me and Ant will go on it yes. and we will win. <laughs> we will do every room because we're both super competitive and want money. So everyone works on their memory tricks doing the usual walking through a memory path and all that nonsense. Franz tries to use his yoker, which is buried in his bag, but he can't find it. <laughs> that was the funniest thing I'd seen in a while. It's just so I've never seen that where somebody's like, "Where's my yoker? <laughs> Please, though, I'm on a real time crunch here. Why didn't I prepare my yoker ahead of time? <laughs> like he should have just dumped out his bag on the table." Yeah, the best thing about it is he brings the largest bag of anyone. He's got a full camping yeah. rucksack. I think he has three people's uh, laundry bags in his backpack. I think that's why he couldn't find it. I have Rosario's laundry in here. That is a full 65 litre camping bag. The the funniest thing is we know he wasn't first to do this test because they showed, you know, Babs volunteering. So he had plenty of time to go and find that joke. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) But also he does say he's on two and a half people, which I'm not sure is a nice way to describe Rihanna at this point. But I think it's the first time where somebody tried to use their yoker, but just couldn't find it amongst their possessions. Why didn't he just dump out the bag? He would have found it so much faster. I hope that's going to be a sabotage at the end of the season. Like, just the mole sneaking into his hotel room during the night and just stealing the yoker and throwing it out a window or something. Not even steal the yoker, just just, just put it at the bottom of his bag. (laughs) They don't even have to discard it. The other fun thing about this is, if he had tipped out his bag, that would have been a front-runner for the banner of his cascading possessions. <laughs> Absolutely, that would have been a slam-dunk banner choice had he done that. <laughs> you let me down, Fonz. Yeah, I was just that would have been that would have been TV gold, just him getting progressively more frustrated and just saying, ah, fuck it, and just dump it all out and just see the yoker hit the laptop and then knock the laptop over. Which of the many pockets did I put this in? (laughs) Or what would be even better? He dumps it all out. It's not in there. And then he sees it was in his back pocket the entire time. He dumps it out three blocks away. Rianne's got to pick him up in a bicycle taxi. (laughs) (laughs) No, he has to use Dodger to get him to the the laptop. Dodger, find my yoker. (laughs) Dodger has the yoker in his mouth and leads him to the laptop because he's a very good boy, 15 out of 10. (laughs) Dodger, get me Tuska's Yorker. Tuska says she's focusing on the yes or no questions and doesn't memorise anything else with an obvious answer, which is the correct tactic in this. Focus on the harder stuff. Kay says Tuska's memory is like an Excel file, while his is like a garbage truck, so he tries to beat everyone on speed. He spread less, but he was very fast. That was my favourite quote in the whole episode. I mean, Casey's becoming more entertaining, but still, he's on Michelle's team. For the love of God, someone from that team needs to go home soon. Tosca still has a Yoko, and she can find it, so she plays it. She spreads less than she intended on. All Rosario thought is that he has to be quick and remembers the questions and answers. 
And Rianne says she found it a very difficult assignment to memorize everything, probably because she was focusing on actually having to walk somewhere. Rick then says whoever goes home can take consolation in the fact that it might be the hardest test in Vistamal history. Case, Rianne and Fonz all get green screens, and of course, you can imagine what I was like when watching this test scene, or this execution scene, because I'm like, Case gets the first screen, there's six minutes left in the episode, ooh, Case might be going home here, this could be interesting. No, he gets a green screen. Rianne's next, I'm like, oh, fucking hell, yes, Michelle's gonna lose someone. Then she gets a green screen. Fonz gets a green screen, I'm like, oh god, Saunders' chances of winning here are zero if Fonz goes home. Then he survives, I'm like, oh no, it's whoever it is next, probably gonna be from my team, isn't it? It's gonna really screw me over, because we've got Rosario, Babs, Anna, and Tuska, and I'm like, oh god, here we go, and then it's Tuska next, I'm like, oh, shitting hell. I didn't even watch, I just knew what was gonna happen, I could hear the music building. I'm like, fuck's sake, here we go. I'm in a bad position, and then Tuska gets the red screen. I wasn't best pleased. No. I think we might have had a, a potential slip-up from the mole here as well. Because when they're doing, you know, all the annoying huggy bit at the end, you hear someone, and I, I can't tell whether it's Anna or Rian, but someone's like, I thought she was going to win, and then very, very quick, like there's a beat, and then very, very quickly they go, oh, she's the mole. Like maybe when they thought she was going to win, because they knew there wasn't a chance she was the mole. Because they were the mole? Yeah. I mean, obviously, devastated that it's Tuska who went home anyway, because she was incredibly entertaining, especially the last couple of episodes. Yeah. She was obviously my main suspect last week, so bullet dodged. She wasn't my main suspect on the suspect list, thankfully, so I'm still on an Anna run. The reason it screws me more than anything is I have now only got one person left, which is Anna. We still have the switches in play for two more weeks. And I now have to pretty much decide, probably next week, whether I still think it's Anna or not. And that's a very tough decision to make. So yeah, not an ideal situation for me. I can't actually remember the last time I was down to one person at Final Six. Uh, Rick asks her what went wrong. She says she was wrong. Spreading was more difficult, but she didn't know. He's enjoyed her a lot, especially with the dancing. And she says she loved the Olympic Stadium, even though she hates running. The opening was fantastic. And he wishes her a beautiful stay in Mexico, which I don't think they've acknowledged yet, but the losers are all staying together this season. Next time, the final six meet an orchestra, Babs paints, everyone gets a bicycle taxi, and Rick tells them, knowledge is power, but integrity will be rewarded. And as we all know, Vias de Mol is just loaded with integrity. Yeah. I mean, obviously we're going to have a lot to say about integrity will be rewarded next week, and the history of how... Nobody has done it well since Belkia created the twist. Um, I think it's far too late in the season to be doing the twist. I think it's also very interesting that they are copying a twist that has plausibly been watchable in the Netherlands if people were watching it and knew what was coming. So I'm wondering whether there's going to be some sort of wrinkle to it. Wasn't it Final Five in Germany as well? It was Final... Was it Final 5 or Final 6? I thought it was Final 6. It is still very late in the season because obviously we're going to get a Final 4. If it isn't a double execution next week, which, <laughs> I mean, if they make Integrity be rewarded part of the double execution, fuck them, fuck them all the way home. Um, but we're not getting any sort of indication that it's going to be a double execution next week, which probably means it's going to be a Final 4. So it, even if it was Final 5 in Germany, which I think you're probably actually right on, it's still two rounds to the end which is a bit too close to be doing a twist like this for me. 
I did say it in Germany. It was the one sort of minor hiccup that I had with Germany was that I thought that doing a twist like Integrity will be rewarded was far too late in the season. They should have done it a round or two earlier. And I stand by it. So, with Tuska leaving, as I've already said, I am down to just Anna. Logan's team is still Fonz and Babs, and Michelle is still inexplicably complete with Rosario, Case, and Rianne. On first suspicions, three people, Mateus, Mark, and Fuzzy, all lost their first suspicion with Tuska going, while Shah, Kieran, and David V all had her in ninth. The current leader, with a spectacularly low score of 31, where the minimum is 21, is Shah now. And on the other end of the scale, Logan, guess what? You're finally not doing worst, as Fuzzy has oh. that title with a score of 43. Anna's adjusted score is now 1.84 out of 6, with Fonz on 2.84, Case and Rianne tied on 3.32, with Case on 3.39, including us and Rianne on 3.52, Rosario on 3.74, and Babs on 5.95 out of 6. The Netherlands suspects this week are Case on 28%, Anna on 21 Fonz on 19 Rianne on 17 Rosario on 14 and Babs on 1%. Interestingly, everyone ticked up by 1% when Tusco went home, except Case, who went up 4%, and Babs, who went up 0 Final two questions. Who do you suspect and who's going home next week? So, order my suspicions. Anna, Rosario, Rianne. Uh, I had Tusco in fourth, but she's gone now. Case, Fonz, and Babs. And I think it will be absolutely hilarious if Babs goes home next week. Uh, Anna, Fonz, Case. Rian Rosario Babs. I also think it would be hilarious if Babs goes home next week, but I think it's going to be Rian. Yeah. I mean, at this point, as long as it ain't Anna, I don't really give a shit who's going home. I need to go Anna or go home at this point. Um, but my order is Anna Rosario Fons, Case, Rian, and Babs. Um, I mean, I've predicted someone from Michelle's team going home every week at this point. So I'm just going to say it'll be someone from Logan's team, so it's finally someone from Michelle's team. I will also say, on the first suspicion scores, you guys are actually tied on 37 points left now. It's you guys on oh. 37, Michelle on 33, and me on 38, because I had two screens second, which is the highest of the four of us. But yeah, Logan is inexplicably not last anymore by by six points, and uh, yeah, I'm somehow doing worse than him now. What the hell? Have you guys got anything else you want to say? Nope. I have one question about the test. What on earth was the question where the answers were Colombia, Curacao, Italy, Suriname, and Thailand? I think that was favourite holiday destination, because we saw a board with that question on it. That makes sense. I thought it was places where um, Emanuela had been arrested or something. (laughs) (laughs) So, thank you for listening to our VSML 2024 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for another new mall in Mexico. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact us at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on the artist formerly known as Twitter at Logsukwaki. Bindles is the Green Recapper, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. Thank you, as always, to Marika for the subtitles. We will see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next flavoring. Rick is a terrible host, purple monkey horse washer. How many ping pong balls can you fit in a foreshadowing? Oh.